Support for WIPR's podcasts comes from Brightview Senior Living. Since 1999, Brightview has proudly served Greater Baltimore with vibrant, independent living, assisted living, memory care, and enhanced care. Find a community near you at brightviewseniorliving.com. The red carpet is amazing. And when Steve Martin hosts, and he's so captivating and funny, and you kind of just wish he was your dad. And the women and the dresses. So much talent in one room. It was going to be steampunk. I decided I'd fallen in love with steampunk. It's going to have welders, goggles, and airships, and monsters, and missions. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Stoop Storytelling Series podcast. I am Jessica Hankin. And I'm Laura Wexler. And this week on the podcast, A Family Fantasy. We have two stories about parents and children living inside a story. And really, aren't we all? We really are. That's what a family is. It's a cult and a story. Um, (laughs) But before we get to our first storyteller of the day, um, we want to thank Park School of Baltimore, independent K-12 non-denominational school in North Baltimore. So this first storyteller, her name is Elizabeth Piper, and she's a writer and speaker. And she's sharing a story about a particular ritual that she and her mother wholeheartedly engaged in and the fantasy of it and the way in which the fantasy both protected them and in some ways put them at risk. So take a listen. So my mom was one of those people that when she got excited about something, you couldn't help but feel excited too. Like just being close to her made you feel her magnetism and she could make the most simple thing sound like the world's best thing. Looking back, I realize it's one of the things I actually kind of enjoyed about her bipolar diagnosis, really high highs. And one of the things my mom loved was the Oscars. She got extremely excited about the Oscars. Therefore, I loved the Oscars. And when she would talk about why she loved it, she would say, you know, the red carpet is amazing. And when Steve Martin hosts, and he's so captivating and funny, and you kind of just wish he was your dad. And the women and the dresses, and how they wore the dresses, and so much talent in one room. So my mom and I would always watch the Oscars. In 2003, we actually got invited to an Oscars party. Now when you like the Oscars, getting invited to an Oscars party is pretty damn exciting, especially when you're Barbara Piper. So I was 12. It was 2003. We got dressed and went over to one of my best friend Leah's house uh, where her mother and her were hosting the Oscars party. And we walked in and there were some girls that I knew from from school and uh, some moms that my mom knew and some unfamiliar faces as well. And we walked in, and I remember I looked over to my right, and it was Leah's dining room. And there were lots of yummy snacks on the table. There were vegetables and hummus. There were chips and salsa and pigs in a blanket, um, soda for the girls, and wine for the moms. And I looked to my left, and most of my friends were in the living room talking about the upcoming school dance and whether or not Chicago would win all the awards at the Oscars that night. And I remember feeling envious of the girls because 
they had this blissful ignorance about them. They could look at a bottle of wine and just see it as a bottle of wine. But I looked at a bottle of wine, and I looked back at my mom, and I thought, shit, something bad could happen. Now, my mom was such an exceptional person. I mean, my friends still talk about her to this day as being one of those fun moms that you just couldn't get enough of. I mean, she was vivacious. She was a storyteller, and she had stories about traveling through Europe in her 20s and serving in the military in her 30s when she was pregnant with my brother. And she said, you know, if I meet a man when I, you know, when I was younger, I said, if I meet a man... Elizabeth, I'll marry him. And if I don't, that's okay too. I'll live a a glorious life, you know, full of travel and and friends and and laughter. But she met my dad, obviously, and, uh, you know, her accomplishments kept growing. She had a family, got two master's degrees from Hopkins. I mean, she was exceptional. So I always kind of saw her as wearing this cape. But when I was in the room and the wine was there and my mom was there, I knew that there was a chance, a good chance, that that cape could come off. And what it would be replaced with was something so ugly, I wanted no one to see it. It was, it was our family secret. They couldn't, they couldn't see it. And then I said, okay, well, there is that small chance that something bad won't happen. And there's been one or two times when she can have a glass or two and be fine and stop. And maybe it's one of those times I tried to calm myself down. I didn't want anyone else to know that something could be wrong. And... So the night progressed, and uh, the Oscars began, and I noticed, drink by drink, my mom's wine glass would keep filling itself up. And I realized about an hour into the night, she had had basically a bottle of wine. And so my nerves were, were very heightened. Um, and so the Oscars continued, and we were all in the living room watching. And now this was 2003, right? Our country, we're at war. It's after September 11th. George W. Bush is the president. And Michael Moore is nominated for an Oscar. So you put Michael Moore nominated for an Oscar, a bottle of wine deep, and my mom, God bless her soul, hardcore Fox News-loving Republican. This is the recipe for disaster. So Michael Moore gets announced as a nomination, and he wins for his work with Bowling for Columbine. And one of the other mothers says, I just love him, and I agree with all of his politics. And he's talking about how George W. Bush shouldn't be the president, and we should be ashamed of it as a country. And my mom starts boiling. And before I know it, she stands up, looks at the TV, and says, you are nothing but a goddamn liberal. Picks up her bag and says, Elizabeth, we're fucking leaving. And storms out the door. Now, in my family, being called a goddamn liberal is an insult, let me tell you. Or it was back in the day. Someone cuts you off in traffic? Liberal. Michael Moore? Liberal. I don't think he'd be offended. Um, (laughs) I wouldn't be offended today. So in that moment... She leaves, and I am left there, and the daughter's eyes are on me, and the mom's eyes are on me, and I see in their eyes that they are full of sadness and confusion and that feeling of, I have no idea what to say or do, and I am 12 years old. 
And as I'm standing there and I apologize for the scene that my mom just caused because I felt like it was my responsibility, reflection of me, and I excuse myself and I walk out the door. And I think in that moment, well, it wasn't clear to me then, but now it's so clear to me that, well, yes, I was a fool of shame, shame for my mom and her disease and shame for me being that young and having to deal with that situation, I think what makes me more sad than anything is that my whole life with my mom, the 22 years that I had her on this planet, all I wanted was for people to see her in the Cape, to see the one who traveled the Europe by herself, the military-serving veteran, the charismatic woman that could make anyone laugh and bake you brownies when you're sad and rub your back when you're sick. I wanted them to see that version of her, but they wouldn't. All they were going to see was the ugliness of her disease. And that's what makes addiction so terrible, is that the things that people do with it are so ugly that it's hard to forget. But now here I am, 30 years old, seven years after I lost my mom to addiction, and... I realize one of the reasons I think we loved the Oscars, one of the reasons I love the Oscars still to this day, love the Oscars, is that it's sort of like that one night where people have a magical red carpet and they put on a beautiful dress and they're happy and they get awards and then they go to parties and have a great time, or at least that's what it seems like from our television sets. And I think for one night you get to wear a cape and... That's what I always try to hold the memory of my mom as, not the ugliness of the disease, but the cape of everything else that she was. Thank you. Uh, remember the early innocent days of Michael Moore? Like it just oh seems God, so... That was, <laughs> that was so funny. I And I just remember, gosh, thinking... The fact that someone would hate him like that, and I, I don't know, it was so un-PC to hate him and all, oh my gosh, I don't know, that was such an interesting moment and kind of a rupture in this fantasy of like the Oscars and everybody's dressed up and isn't everything pretty, right? Isn't it yeah. pretty to think so? And then, you know, just kind of the ashes of that fantasy were left to Elizabeth. So um, before we get on to our next storyteller for today, we want to thank Golden West, a vegan Southwestern restaurant on the Avenue in Hamden, which has been feeding people throughout the pandemic. So please support them and get carryout or delivery. We want to thank Baltimore Magazine covering the city, both online and the print edition, which you can find on the newsstand. So this next storyteller is Edward Gillespie, and he is a Baltimore City police officer, but he's unusual among city police officers in that he has a history degree and a Master of Liberal Arts, and he sort of came to policing as a second career. And he now works at the BPD's academy where he trains new cadets, and he's really working on trying to train them in all of the things that we need our officers to know and be and do and not do. And this is a story about his quest as a parent to find a story that will empower his daughter. Take a listen. 
So I grew up steeped in science fiction. I'm, this was in the 70s and the 80s, and I'm sure I was one of the few kids who knew all the words to that cheesy theme song to Buck Rogers. I was going to go drink at the Moss Eisley Cantina. I actually had the blueprints to the Battlestar Galactica. I wanted to serve on the Battlestar Galactica. Every episode of Doctor Who loved Doctor Who. I loved his battles. I loved watching him prevail. So everything for me was science fiction. And that formed the bulwark of my understanding of the world. That was my lens. Shortly after that, flip, <laughs> I'm a father. It's the years go by somehow, somehow suddenly I'm a father. One day I'm not a father, the next day I am. So there's no manual on how to do this. So I, I have to ask, well, what does one do to figure out how to raise a child, raise a daughter? what you do is you fall back on the stories that you've come to understand, right? So for some people, those are the stories of their families. And for some people, it's their religious texts. Well, for me, it was my autographed copy of Fahrenheit 451 and my autographed copy of the Martian Chronicles and all of the TV shows and movies and books that I'd read and reread over and over again. And so fine, I said, you know, this is how I'm going to help her understand the world because I looked at this egalitarian glowing world of the Federation, you know, and I looked at this teenage princess leading a multicultural, multi-species rebellion against these fascists. And I looked at adventure and I looked at people venturing out and I saw vision and I saw justice, right? And I saw adventure and I said this is what I want to give her and the best way to do that I decided was to write it for her I'm going to write a story write a science fiction novel for my daughter why not okay so it's going to, it's going to have the ethos of all the things I want her to understand the things I've learned from science fiction that's great so I sat down with my little laptop and I started going and my vision was this was going to be just a a gift from dad right so it was going to be steampunk. I decided I'd fallen in love with steampunk. It's going to have welders, goggles, and airships, and monsters, and missions. It's going to have, you know, this kind of clunky, slightly sleek, slightly awkward technology. Great. You know, I was going to be able to show, this was important to me, show a struggle there had to be some sort of struggle against a larger power. There had to be resourcefulness, you know. And most of all, though, I wanted it to be gynocentric. I wanted it to be about women and girls solving problems, right? I wanted the self-rescuing princesses and I wanted women coming together to help be the heroes of the situation, to, to stop the threat, to be the champion of culture, that sort of thing, that meant a lot to me. I wanted her to have that. Okay, so I started into it. I, I created a, started creating my set of characters. You know, my main character was biracial and there was neurodiversity in it and there were LGBTQ plus characters. And I was like, I can't wait to give this to her. You know, it, it just had that vision, that, that promise that I saw in science fiction for so many years. Right. And the, the good guys looked like her life. 
thought, great, you know, this is how I want to proceed. And I'm plinking away on it on my little laptop. I've been through several laptops since I started the story. So I'm plinking away with my laptop and I've got the news on. This is literally sitting on my sofa one evening with the news going and I'm plinking away. And I heard myself echo what just came through the news feed, grab her by the what? He said he could grab women by what? And get away with it because he was a star? And something sank in me. Something sank in me because, see, I was thinking as I was writing this, well, this is just a gift from dad. She'll have the Hunger Games. She'll have this story, that story. You know, this is maybe a little bit redundant, but it's just going to be a gift. And I remember thinking, well, you know, she's growing up in a world where women and girls are going to be embraced for what they can do for their strength and their brilliance. And then my patina of male privilege slid away in that moment. And I was pained and I was scared. And I realized that the evil empire, even though we'd blown up the Death Star once or twice, was still out there. And I looked at her and I felt a type of fear and a type of rage. And then I fell back on what my heroes always did. My fingers started moving, <laughs> I kid you not, with even more fervor and even a fury because now it had gone from a gift to a mission. The characters in that story were more than just concepts, they were something we're gonna teach my daughter how to move forward in a world that I have to admit, I didn't realize was going to be so difficult for her. And my fingers were going and my vision was expanding. And I literally felt it rising in me that the, those neurodiverse biracial characters, those characters that show diversity and that, that were on a mission against that hegemonic empire were real. They were going to be a guiding force for her. They were going to be a way that I would teach her. They were going to be something that she could use to go into the world. It's been years now and I'm pulling it together. <laughs> it's ready, I'm editing and she's older and soon she'll be ready for me to hand it to her because I had to come to the realization that the evil empire is real, but there are still powerful, amazing, beautiful princesses that will lead them to victory if they're just given the right science fiction. Because I love her very much. Thank you. So yeah, as as of the telling of the story, Edward was still writing this this book for his daughter. But what what a cool thing for her to get and for him to do as a way of like changing the world, if only to like change the possibilities for her in the story. 
Yeah, uh, he's such a great guy. And, you know, I could see how he would be very distracted during this time of year because he lives on 34th Street, which if you're a Baltimorean, you understand is Christmas central. And um, so that's another aspect of fantasy that he's infused into his daughter's life. Hmm, yes. Well, before we get out of here for today, we want to thank the wine source. Uh, they're on Elm Avenue in Hamden, and they have all the wine and beer and snacks you need to get through this long winter. And we want to thank Maureen Harvey for producing the podcast. And please check us out at soupstorytelling.com to find out about upcoming shows and find our podcast wherever you get your audio content. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you back soon. Stay safe.